What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 165 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't answer your question first. I'm not answer your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, do some follow-up, and then conclude with a news roundup where we will discuss a variety of news stories that have piqued our interest, including PETA's latest meme offering alternatives to anti-animal language. This meme that we're going to talk about has really been just sort of... Uh, the internet has got its talons into this meme and mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. really just sort of ran wildly with it. And I kind of love where it's gone. It's a bummer we didn't get to discuss it when it came out because we were in the midst of our break. But I feel like a lot of people messaged in and were like, how do you feel about this this thing? So here we are. We're going to give you our two cents. Yeah, I would say this is probably the third most requested topic that we got. So we're we're kind of working our way through them as we're getting back into the the groove here. But it should be, I think it'll be fun to talk about. Yes, so I'm very excited to talk about it, Andy. We got no announcements. We got no food. But we do have follow-up, which I feel like Paul, is... Yes, Andy? We have so much follow-up. <laughs> so let's let's get into it. Yeah, so okay, Paul. Last week, we had our episode that was all about this case in the UK that's the first part of it's going to happen in a trial in March. So we're sort of anxiously awaiting to see the outcome of it. But essentially, this could be something that assigns ethical veganism as being protected by the Equality Act of 2010 in the UK. And there is a number of things, questions that were raised in our discussion that we did not have answers to. And we now have a few answers to them. So we're going to go over them right now. The first of which was you asked me the question, what beliefs, what non-religious beliefs are protected already? Because, you know, when we're going down the list of things, it was like you can't be discriminated against because of needing uh, maternity leave or your race or your your sexual orientation or whatever it might be. And then the final category was religion or belief. And you're like, well, what belief is protected? And we could not come up with one. And I actually did think of something later in the conversation, but it just sort of there was never space to slip it in there. And then I totally forgot about it. (laughs) But the first thing that I wanted to say is that uh, the most obvious one, even though I tend to think of this as a religious belief, but it's not, is atheism. We don't need to get into this, but I, I would consider that a religious belief. Yeah, I mean, to to me, I consider that a part of like freedom of religion. You yeah, know, yeah, it is sort of like you also have the freedom to not believe, but for some weird reason, not believing in a religion or not believing in God is considered a religious belief in and of itself, <laughs> almost. So that's kind of weird. I, I think that that makes sense because religion is like. It's like, what are your views about God? And atheism is my views about God are that there are none. There is none. Yeah, that's true. So, but that's sort of like the number one thing 
when they sort of class under like belief, that was the number one example that a lot of people gave that, that wrote in. But another thing, the, the example that I was thinking of later on in the discussion was, uh, at least in the U.S., a belief in pacifism. And I was thinking specifically of my dad who avoided fighting in the war by registering as a conscientious objector. And like actually had to go in front of a military tribunal and they asked all sorts of questions like if you walked into the home and someone was assaulting your mother, how would you react? And like things to sort of test your commitment to nonviolence. And that would be, in my opinion, that would be classified under a belief that's not religious that is protected by the law. That makes me think that vegans are then going to have to defend their you know, if, if, if something came up into a court, they would ha- not just in, cause I believe that's exactly what's going on in this specific case is that they are going to have to defend why it should be included. But this, what you just said makes me think that if it, if veganism then is included, if a case like this comes to court, then the person will have to, you know, prove that they are an ethical vegan and get all these hypothetical thro- hypotheticals thrown at them. Well, that was one of the questions I brought up in the episode was sort of how does one prove and is there a certain threshold? Because, you know, my main objection or my main point was that veganism has sort of some central tenets for sure. But there are a lot of these these gray areas that vegans do diverge on. And where would the court sort of set the line from? But I actually, in response to that, I found this website, citizensadvice.org.uk. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. And they had this little thing talking about, you know, how people are protected, what they're protected by, et cetera, et cetera. And then I found this little sentence, which says, religious belief means the belief in a religion's central articles of faith. For example, within Christianity, that Jesus is the son of God. It also means beliefs which exist within a religion, but which are not shared by everybody within that religion. So that, to me, applying that to veganism would be you believe in sort of the central tenets of veganism, which is, for instance, animals are not for human use. That's not their purpose on Earth. Uh, and that you don't necessarily have to follow every tiny little thing that that certain vegans do, but maybe others don't in order to qualify for your protection should this whole thing go through. That's interesting. I I, I think... I don't know. We may come into, is there, I guess, I guess they would fall back on, you know, like the vegan society or someone, their definition, one of these really mainstream definitions that has been around for a while, which I think would probably be sufficient for this general, super broad definition of veganism. But, you know, we've had one too many conversations about the definition of veganism before and really pinpointing (laughs) that. So I feel like that in itself warrants a discussion, but for someone that's not interested in this, the very specific nuances, I guess one of those general definitions would do. Yeah. It's not like that someone's going to go in front of a judge and they're going to say, so you're vegan, but you're not an activist. That's <laughs> oh, I was going to say not that. really an activist. Beat vegan. me to that joke, Andy. Uh, sorry, Paul. Had to do it. Had to do <laughs> you like that. So, okay. So along those lines, we were sort of wondering how exactly are these non-religious beliefs qualified? Like, is there a certain criteria? At the time, we didn't find them, but found an article over on QZ.com titled, 
veganism deserves the same protection against discrimination as religion, say philosophers. And in it, a bunch of philosophers, several philosophers are interviewed, including like Peter Singer. But before they get to any of that, they sort of lay out what the UK says the criteria is. So to qualify as a protected belief, it must be genuinely held, attain a certain level of cogency and seriousness, be worthy of respect in democratic society, which means that it cannot be incompatible with human dignity and must not conflict with the fundamental rights of others and must be a belief rather than an opinion or viewpoint based on the present state of information available. Uh, in other words, an opinion is relatively temporal compared to a belief. I think that that veganism fits that criteria. I feel like, yeah, no, no, no question does it fit that criteria. And as was pointed out in the article, I think by by Peter Singer, basically sort of pointed out that veganism certainly has a much more solid moral foundation and sort of uh, logical basis to it than many religions do. So if religions can reach that criteria, certainly veganism should be able to as well. Yeah, I would I would agree with that definitely. So I think that's a good I feel like that's a good sign that this is going to go through. Yeah, yeah. And so Paul, so Jordy, who was the man at the center of this whole case, we actually got uh, several emails from Jordy clarifying some of the things in the episode, some of the questions we had. So thank you to Jordy for getting in touch with us. It's always it's always a little scary when someone you're talking about sends you an email. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shoot, these are real people that, that we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> and, and not and just thank, names. Thankfully, I believe we came down relatively favorably in, in terms of this whole thing. But mm-hmm. uh, Jordy did clarify that whistleblowing is indeed protected in the UK. You know, we said that it's protected in the US. We weren't sure about the UK. Uh, and that uh, but there are still like certain qualifications to classify whether something meets the classification of whistleblowing and that the lawyers he has argued are they're proficient in this and they are going to argue that you know what he did the reason why he was fired does meet the classification of a whistleblower and then in addition to all of this sort of criteria uh Jordy wrote you wondered which other beliefs other than religions have already been protected under the act. I can give you some examples. They all had to go through the same process of testing in separate hearings if all the conditions apply. Uh, the belief in self-determination. This came up from a person who was discriminated for believing that Scotland should be independent. The belief in not drinking alcohol. The belief in pacifism. The belief in man-made global warming, atheism, humanism. The belief in the accountability of government. And the belief of, quote, the sanctity of life. The latter is kind of a precursor to my case, which was based on a vegan gardener who was fired for not following the instruction of his boss of killing all the pigeons that were messing with his garden. By the way, the legal firm which secured that protection is the legal firm I hired for my case. So they are experts in philosophical beliefs discrimination. Ooh, that sounds that's that seems promising then. So all of this is making me feel more and more like this is actually going to go through. I like that the uh, belief of not drinking alcohol is protected. That's straight edge belief. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so so straight edge, totally protected under the law. Now we just got to get veganism protected under the law. And Earth Crisis can start their next UK tour, I guess. (laughs) No, this definitely gives me 
hope <laughs> this definitely make because because i think last week if i remember correctly from one week ago I, I think we were both kind of unsure about how this was leaning but this makes me makes me think it's leaning favorably obviously we are biased in a lot of these things and and i think andy you brought up this point last week that really it just takes a, a judge that has some sort of bias in the other direction to kind of make this fall flat yeah, and Jordy actually did address that point that you just brought up in the email and sort of says, no, the judges have to weigh it out against certain criteria and that's it. And I feel like in theory, that's how the legal system works. But we know that, you know, judges do have biases and, you know, so I, I'm not as faithful in the system as Jordy seems to be, but... Uh, this whole thing does make me feel a bit more hopeful. And, you know, we spent a long time sort of picking out the nuances of this particular case. But as was pointed out, ultimately, this is like the ultimate point of this is should someone allowed to be fired simply for being vegan? And I think, of course, neither of us would say that that should be something that can happen. Correct. I agree. So. But maybe it's, you know, like a foot in the door. Type of type of deal. We're all about those feet and feet, getting our feet in those doors, Andy. <laughs> I have so many feet and so many doors right now, Paul. <laughs> I wish someone would open them up. <laughs> and then the last thing that I'll talk about in terms of follow up from last week's episode, we our news item was all about uh, veganjobs online, which was sort of the vegan job listing site that was launching in the UK later this month, I believe January twenty first. And we were like, oh, wouldn't it be great if someone did something like that in the U.S.? And, Paul, this is one of those times where we really should have done a quick Google search <laughs> <laughs> to uh, avoid the uh, vegan egg on our faces. <laughs> so we got a great message from Kelly M. Uh, through Facebook that said to check out – there's a Facebook group called Vegan Jobs, and that is – seemingly mostly us based a lot of the stuff on the west coast uh, and that also sort of links to jobs.veganmainstream.com which is a, a big listing of jobs from what i looked through it was mostly nonprofit jobs you know things at places like PETA or Mercy for Animals or, or groups of that nature, animal equality uh, and then there's straight up just veganjobs.com paul <laughs> we didn't even try it we, we we didn't even try that. We're like, yeah, veganjobs.online makes sense. <laughs> the very I just I just went to veganjobs.com for the first time. The the very first job listing, Andy. Mm -hmm. Vegan treats, general manager. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that would be the kind of job that would make you hate eating vegan treats, though. Probably. It's kind of like why I feel like I couldn't work at a movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> Although, free movies. Nice perk. Oh, I'm joining ProVeg International, Andy. They're hiring. <laughs> oh, boy. Much Hold to the emails. <laughs> chagrin of half of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's all the follow-up. We'll put links to that everything we're talking about in the show notes. But, yeah, if you're looking for that vegan job, veganjobs.com feels like they're already doing a pretty good job of that. And veganjobs.com seems to have more things. Like you already mentioned the, the vegan treats job, which is a very prolific vegan bakery uh, over here in the U.S. And so it's not just nonprofit jobs like the uh, vegan mainstream job listing seems to be like. So, yeah, those resources exist and we're glad that they're going to continue to exist and spread, spread themselves all over the world. And thank you for pointing them out to us. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, Paul, let's get to this news roundup. We're going to talk about a couple of news stories. I think uh, two of them definitely could be considered follow-up. They're things that we've been talking about extensively on the show before. But these are you know, not necessarily full-length discussions, but things that we thought would be interesting to talk about and have been piquing our interest. So, Paul, why don't you hit us with that first sweet news story? Yeah, Andy, I think this could fall under uh, Dairy's inevitable downfall, maybe. <laughs> oh, this is true. Play the theme song. All right. From VegNews.com, federal court rules that almond milk is milk from January 7th. So if you remember, we've we've talked about a, a few different cases of either milk or the the vegan meat products coming under fire, coming under lawsuits from either, in this case, the dairy industry or the meat industry, the the, the Cattlemen's Association, <laughs> and try, trying to ba- basically get them get get it illegal to call vegan products as milk or as meat and this is a follow up from that so in a in a bit of good news which i feel like we don't always have the this article is basically saying that the US 9th circuit court of appeals ruled that almond milk labeling doesn't violate federal laws and reading a little bit from that article the plaintiffs alleged that blue diamond's almond milk products should be labeled imitation milk because they, quote, substitute for and resemble dairy milk, but are nutritionally inferior to it. The court determined that under the reasonable consumer standard that governs these claims, the plaintiffs must show that members of the public are likely to be deceived by Blue Diamond's labeling and advertising practices. Notwithstanding any resemblance to dairy milk, almond milk is not a substitute for dairy milk as contemplated by federal law because almond milk does not involve literally substituting inferior ingredients for those in dairy milk, the court found. Boom, baby. Boom, baby. (laughs) Andy, did you giggle when you read the line, uh, (laughs) inferior, that that almond milk is inferior to dairy milk? That's what they were trying to... (laughs) trying to claim yeah i thought that the ruling was just gonna be like have you seen a carton of almond milk (laughs) you know because it's just a bunch of almonds all over it and who's expecting that those are coming from cows yeah yeah so i'm glad that this went through because this seemed to me like one of those things that was so obvious and and just so obvious that people are not being deceived by this maybe i'm wrong but but it always just seemed silly, and I'm glad that the court is kind of just like, yes, this is this is silly. This is silly, and you should feel ashamed of yourself, dairy industry. <laughs> that's what they said. That's a direct quote. Exactly. And that's why the, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, Paul, I have to remind you that on the, the flip side of this coin, we've covered this before – but in Missouri, the law that says that they can't call certain meat pro- like vegan products meat just went into effect. That went into effect on January 1st. And apparently the crime for calling something meat that did not come from, quote unquote, poultry or livestock is that they can be fined up to $1,000 and potentially a full year in prison. Oh, my God. It seems excessive. I'm just like imagining some like grocery store worker, just like, you know, some like high school kid for out of the Simpsons, just being like, Oh, you can check out your meat. And then like the FBI like swoops in and like throws <laughs> cuffs on this poor kid just for calling tofurkey meat. Yeah. Wait, I'm assuming that this law is just for packaging, right? Not like the lay person <laughs> can't accidentally call it meat. 
<laughs> I hope so. And and also, so I, I think we covered this, but Tofurky is fighting this. Tofurky and the Good Food Institute are kind of leading the charge on fighting this. And the the response from the lawmakers is clearly this isn't meant to interfere with something that's spelled like C-H-I-C-K apostrophe N or things like that. Like really what they're trying to do is put a clamp down on like the Impossible Burger or lab-grown meat and things like that. But of course, Tofurky is arguing like, well, what is to stop you from doing that to to affect our packaging and to affect our ability to sell our products? So I'll be really curious to see how that all plays out. But mm-hmm. it, it's pretty wild to think that someone could get a $1,000 fine and I'm like, who who specifically would get that fine? Is it like the head of to- like would Seth from Tofurky or something like that? Yeah, I don't even know if Seth is like the owner anymore. He's like the figurehead at least. But you know, like who is going to get the one year in prison? Is it the marketing person that designed the packaging or what? Also, I mean, a thousand dollars is obviously a lot of money, but for a business, I feel like a thousand dollars versus a prison time is not <laughs> not equatable. equal whatsoever yeah yeah a thousand dollars could just be like the cost of business that could just be like oh we had a bad run of packaging we have to throw out and we've lost a thousand dollars you know yeah yeah so so th- those things don't seem equal to each other <laughs> they're throwing tofurky the company in jail as a as a whole the <laughs> they're, concept they're throwing of... the titular tofurky in jail <laughs> <laughs> So, so that's a bummer, but hopefully, I guess we'll, we'll keep everyone updated on how that Tofurky countersuit is going. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be huge news that'll be hard to miss when it happens. So we'll be sure to <laughs> report on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Second news story we want to talk about. CCTV will be compulsory in Scottish slaughterhouses under a new law. Now, Paul, we have previously talked about – we had a whole episode, in fact, dedicated to whether or not there should be CCTV, which is closed-circuit television. So it's not necessarily being broadcast out into the world, but it's like a security camera system essentially. So any fast food place you go into, there's those cameras that are watching you, any 7-Eleven, something like that. seems like that's what they're talking about here. And so we've we've talked about whether these things are are good for animals, whether it would really change anything. And that did recently get passed in England where all these slaughterhouses did have to have CCTVs recording the actions of the employees. And let's read a little bit from this article about Scottish slaughterhouses. <laughs> all right. <laughs> good save, right? Okay. CCTV will be mandatory in areas of Scottish slaughterhouses with live animals under new laws unveiled this afternoon. The Scottish government says the legislation will ensure there are, quote, highest standards of animal welfare in all abattoirs. According to Rural Affairs Minister Mary Gougion, how do you feel about that pronunciation, Paul? I feel great about it. More than 80% of slaughterhouses in Scotland have already put cameras in place voluntarily, but she says the new rules, which will be brought forward later in the year, will standardize the quality of CCTV across the nation. CCTV for slaughterhouses in England became mandatory last year following campaigns by animal organizations and a public consultation. So, Paul, I remember one of our biggest talking points when we were discussing whether these would be good for animals or not. Uh, Obviously, slaughterhouses are inherently bad for animals, but would this help in some welfare level? Could this possibly help animals or could this help turn the public off from eating animals or something like that? Uh, We were wondering, well, who has access 
to this footage? Like who who's watching it? Is it going to be streaming uh, onto some website? I think we were talking about the possibility of having it like streaming footage being broadcast on the side of the slaughterhouse or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that was our big that was one of our biggest questions because it, it's like I think most activists, your mind our mind goes right to, oh, there's there's now footage inside the slaughterhouses, so we'll have access to that footage, and it'll be so much easier to just broadcast this stuff to the public, even if it's not, you know, being broadcast on TV or on a, on a TV station for activists like either the, like the pay-per-view activism that you did or, or Anonymous for the Voices or anything that uses slaughterhouse footage. It would be we, – we were – saying like that would be nice if it was just so much easier to get that footage instead of having to send in undercover people but i think we were uncertain about if the general public would even have access to that yeah and that sort of begged the question of like well then what effect could these possibly have and so after doing a little bit of research because we talked about this a while ago when this hadn't even passed in england but uh, in England, the, what the way that all works out is is that the Food Standards Agency, or the FSA, which I assume is sort of their version of the FDA, uh, they have their their own approved veterinarians, and those vets are provided basically a ninety day backlog of footage. So I'm guessing what that means is that if there was a complaint about animal abuse, they would be able to go back and and find it. But I. It doesn't seem like they're just sitting there monitoring it at all times from what I could tell. So I'm trying to think if that's a good thing because, I mean, it certainly doesn't seem to help the advocacy route at all. And and I think I'm, – I'm, Andy, I'm going to be frank with you. I don't remember the conversation that we had. It was a long time ago. But I imagine <laughs> one of our concerns was is this just going to lead to uh, like – the the workers being punished and and then the the larger corporations saying oh that's just a few bad apples and we got rid of them and now a few people are out of their job and other than that nothing else really changed i imagine that that was one of our <laughs> our major concerns and to me it seems like if the the english version of the fda if they're the only ones that have access to this i know I mean, our FDA the, in the United States is, I feel like, prone to making not vegan decisions or, or prone to being, you know, influenced by these larger corporations. So it's if that's the same thing over there, it's possible that this really won't have much of an effect at all if, if those are the people that they're sending in or those are the people rather that are watching this footage. Yeah, I think also our our FDA in the U.S. is prone to being outdated and relatively useless, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, the episode that we talked about this in was episode 64, which aired January 25th, 2017. Our cameras in slaughterhouses, a victory for animals. That's all off the top of my head, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost exactly 100 episodes ago. Wow. That is pretty wild. Wow. Wow. I mean, so I so I agree with that, Paul. I get in that like your concerns. I feel those concerns as well, which is essentially how meaningful is this if there isn't someone that's sort of always monitoring it to know what's going on? And maybe there is someone that's, you know, a, a group of people that are sort of 
selectively monitoring and, and going through, but clearly they can't have someone that's sitting there watching the footage live of every slaughterhouse all the time. Also, what a horrible job that would be. De- definitely horrible. But then also, Andy, it's like part of me also thinks that we want the general public to realize that killing animals in general is bad and not not like oh these are here's these these rare instances of more extreme i'm not even going to say abuse cuz it's it's all abuse but more extreme abuse or more you know like visually disturbing abuse that then people kind of have the scapegoat of oh well this isn't how it's like all the time this is how it's like all the time and then they can pull up this cctv of what the typical slaughter is like and and i would hope that most people would still be disgusted by that but I feel like there are going to still be many people that are like, this is just what it is. And do you think that it could possibly be a bad thing if it almost like normalizes what the normal, typical procedures are in a slaughterhouse? I mean, I guess, yeah, people could certainly become desensitized to if they see the footage often. Is that what you're saying? I guess kind of like if if. Because I feel like uh, one of the one criticism that that vegans get when they're trying to do advocacy where they're showing footage of slaughterhouses is people will say, well, this isn't this isn't this is just like a rare instance of what you're showing me is not how it is all the time, like an animal being beaten or something like that. People will say, well, that's not what's going on all the time. And if the CCTV legitimizes that claim would it be bad then would that person then be like well i'm okay with with animals being killed and and see i i saw you, uh, I, I told you look these animals aren't being you know quote mistreated they're just being slaughtered in the normal way doing a lot of air quotes yeah i mean and i guess in my experience when people see what happens to animals in these facilities they're horrified by it. And when you tell them this is legal and standard practice, they're even a little more horrified because a lot of people like to be under this delusion that it's, you know, the footage is only the the bad apples of the bunch. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I feel like the danger of it is just making people feel more complacent with the slaughter of animals in terms of thinking that the government is regulating everything and everything is fine. So maybe that's sort of just like a different, uh, you know, stick twig off the same branch or something like that of what you're saying. But to me, it's kind of like people, you know, a lot of times when I, when I've done outreach and shown people footage of what happens to animals and they say, well, like, isn't the government supposed to handle this? You know, like it, it never leads to the point like the government's not going to mandate that you're vegan, at least not yet, you know, but the, sort of this mindset of there's an okay way to do this. And with the t- the cameras in place, that's like another safeguard to make sure that people aren't being extra abusive, you know, above and beyond what is sort of legally sanctioned to the animals. And that just makes people feel more comfortable with their consumption of animals. That is no, that's a good, that's a, that's a good point, Andy, because I think that's different than what I was saying. What I was saying because that what you were saying lets people get off the hook of even having to see the footage because they can just say someone else is watching this footage, and if there was something bad happening, they would they would bring it up. Yeah. So so I don't know. I mean, my my overall gut feeling is that I don't feel like these cameras lead to animal liberation. 
but also knowing that various meat related organizations were fighting very strongly to make sure this didn't happen it makes me go well it's probably better that these are being put in place than not yeah you know they wouldn't they wouldn't oppose something if they didn't think it was going to hurt their business that's true yeah so on that note i found and this is actually this is all of this that we're talking about just came out very recently in the last few days but i did find an article from when things were going through in england earlier this year around uh, february early february of uh, 2018 Fe- february february feb no dairy <laughs> uh, so i found this article over at animalsaustralia.org actually which said meat organizations say cctv and slaughterhouses quote discriminates against abattoir workers so on our little discrimination kick that we've been talking about right now, I found this to be a really fascinating article. So let me read a little bit from it. To permit FSA to review months of recordings of staff who have not consented to being filmed and initiate retrospective prosecutions is unprecedented. Similar controls over staff in hospitals and care homes would never be contemplated. So there is no justification for discrimination of abattoir workers. The presence of CCTV will potentially make it more difficult to retain staff, and we anticipate may be more difficult to recruit new staff to work in these areas. And so these are quotes from those those meat organizations, uh, which is like really interesting that they consider that discrimination. And I all I can think is how many retail workers are under video surveillance at all times, and we don't consider that discrimination. And correct me if I'm wrong, Andy. There are cameras in hospitals. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. There are indeed cameras in hospitals. Like, not in the bathrooms, I guess, but and maybe not even in individual rooms, but there are certainly cameras in hospitals. Yeah, that's... And and um, care homes, too, I'm assuming. Like, the, the, the more... Like, what I was thinking, the, the thing that popped into my head was cameras in schools, and obviously there are cameras in hallways but most as far as i know most schools don't have cameras in the individual teachers rooms and that is something that gets brought up every once in a while so i feel like that's a similar i guess that's a similar issue but i don't know to me it's it's like if if there are enough issues then it's like something needs to be done about that. And it's almost like if the, if there is an increase in, in problems in, in teachers' classrooms, then it's like, yeah, not every teacher is doing this, but if it's a legitimate issue, then something needs to be done about it. And if you're, if you are a teacher, I feel like you kind of have to realize that even if you aren't the person that's doing it, it's for this greater this greater cause that that is a serious issue that needs to be addressed, you know? Yeah. That's how I feel about it. That's my two cents, Andy. I see how you related that to teachers, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I felt like it was something that I have personal experience on, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I totally reject that the putting the cameras in is discrimination against these workers. And like, what about these animals? You know, if, if the workers being observed doing this work is discrimination, certainly what's happening to these animals is significantly more discriminatory. Yeah. Do you think that, I, I guess the only thing that I think that it would lead to the the something that could be considered discrimination again like we mentioned before is if 
all that this leads to is like like the 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 low level workers being punished and nothing else happening to the like the the higher ups you know then i feel like it's it's an issue and it's pointless almost yeah and that yeah who knows if that would even necessarily be qualified as discrimination but i agree that that would certainly feel very unproductive and you know sadly unfortunately that's what a lot of you know the organizations that do these undercar investigations that's what they use their footage for is to get prosecutions against these low level workers who are often workers of color people in usually some pretty desperate situations at least in the US i know it's a little different in the UK but at least in the US you know they they're going legally after some people that are often not great life situations that have you know led them to working in slaughterhouses you know we know slaughterhouses are an industry with uh, often 100% or higher turnover rate per year. It's not a job that people, generally speaking, like to do and enjoy doing. And so I could easily see that being the way that these CCTVs are implemented in the UK. Which would be a bummer. Yeah. But you know, it's not a bummer, Andy. What's that, Paul? All these wonderful people that donated to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Flawless transition. <laughs> That's right. So we got to give huge thank yous to the following people. Chris R. Jessica T. Angel. And Paul S. <laughs> Paul, you donating to our own Patreon? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, thank you to Catherine M. And Jules I, who both increased their pledges to the Patreon. So all of these people are people that are donating to our Patreon at the rate of at least $1 per month. And doing so gets everyone access to all of our bonus episodes. There's 10 bonus episodes up in there as we speak. Uh, and there's also four free, smaller, mini bonus episodes that anybody can get access to right now. And uh, the funds go to help uh, increase the accessibility of our podcast and the sustainability of our podcast. And if you pledge at rates higher than a dollar, you can get merch, you can get early access to episodes, T-shirts. Everyone gets a shout on the podcast no matter how much you donate as well. So if you want to get in on that action, head over to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo. How do you spell beardo, Paul? B-E-A-R-D-O. And once you go there, there'll be options for the Patreon, or you can do a one-time donation with PayPal, or just a link to our online store where you can get a t-shirt or sticker. And there's a bunch of new vegan-ish movies coming out, so I feel like we're going to get some good some good reviews for those bonus apps. Yeah, yeah. We definitely tend to lean towards film reviews for the bonus episodes. I have a little list here, Paul. At some point, The Game Changers is coming out, The Last Pig, Running for Good, Seaspiracy, Invisible Vegan, Diet Fiction, and Eating, eating animals. animals. I feel like Eating Animals might end up in a main episode because I feel like that'll be one a lot of people want to hear. But maybe maybe hide it behind a paywall, Paul, like the <laughs> capitalists that we are. <laughs> so, yeah, there's lots of, lots of good fuel for the bonus episodes that will be coming up. And we're actually really close to hitting our, our third goal on patreon and once we do that we'll be able to get three episodes transcribed per month and also on the third goal means we put out two bonus episodes whenever a month that happens and something we talked about doing was for whenever that happens is for us to do bonus episodes where we each interview each other yeah so that might finally come come <laughs> to fruition heck yeah <laughs> all right paul let's do this main discussion let's do this main discussion 
Okay, so as as said earlier, this is something we got a lot of emails about. A lot of people, I'm sure if we had a Twitter, they'd be tweeting us about it as well. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people wanting us to talk about this stop using anti-animal language meme that PETA put out. So we're going to frame this with a article from WashingtonPost.com. So this has reached a lot of mainstream media. Uh, PETA wants to change anti-animal sayings but the internet thinks they're feeding a fed horse. <laughs> so back in December 4th, PETA tweeted out this image, which is a pretty simple image. The headline says, stop using anti-animal language. And there's two columns and there's a instead of, and then a say. So it's things like this. Instead of kill two birds with one stone, say feed two birds with one scone, which I feel like they stole from our podcast because we definitely said that on here a long time ago. And didn't we get it from who is it? Oh, Catherine. Yeah, I think I think the feed two birds with one scone was something that I added on to a video that Catherine had made like when we were talking about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I'm not claiming full credit for that, but I'm just saying (laughs) I hadn't heard too many people saying it before that. So let's just go over the other examples. Instead of saying, be the guinea pig, say, be the test tube. Instead of saying, beat a dead horse, say, feed a fed horse. Instead of saying, bring home the bacon, say, bring home the bagels. Nice. And the final one, which I, I, I like this one. I think it's clever. Instead of saying, take the bull by the horns, say, take the flower by the thorns. Andy, I genuinely like all of these. <laughs> I also like all of these. So I will say, be the test tube. I feel like that one's not going to catch on, but all the other ones are good. <laughs> yeah. Be the test tube is pretty, pretty rough. So, okay. So why are we talking about this, Paul? Uh, I think it's safe to say that both of us agree that the language we use is important. Uh, in fact, we had a whole episode dedicated to the language we use a long time ago. I want to say it was like episode eight, maybe. We interviewed Christopher Sebastian mm-hmm. um, about an article that Sebastian wrote about something similar. And we had our own little section on our own discussion there. But this meme, which we both seem to enjoy on some level sparked a ton of backlash online and there's sort of the negative backlash and there's like the parody backlash. But a lot of people were sort of saying, Peter, is this really what you're concerned with? Is this really what you're wasting your time on? Don't you, you know, of course people are responding with like things like, don't you have bigger fish to fry? And, you know, using all these idioms that are very anti-animal. And so Paul, let's, let's talk about this. You've already said that you enjoy this meme or at least you enjoy some of these alternatives. What do you think about this meme? Do you think it's productive that Peter put it out there? Is the backlash warranted? Does it make vegans look bad? How how do you feel? All right. So I'm going to, Andy, I'm going to lay it all out for you. I, like you said, I think that language is very important. And, and even Peter themselves underneath when they tweeted this out underneath, they, they wrote the caption, Words matter, and as our understanding of social justice evolves, our language evolves along with it. Here's how to remove speciesism from your daily conversations. And I I agree with that, and, and I think that that is important. And w- like you said, Andy, like we've talked about this before. We've said that it's important. We've given examples like th- very similar to these ones or <clears throat> exactly one of these ones, PETA, credit us. <laughs> and And so it's like there's no doubt that this is not a – I don't believe – I shouldn't say there's no doubt. I don't believe that this is a bad thing. I feel like 
the fact that it's PETA makes it different than, for instance, <laughs> us saying something like this. And this is not not necessarily – I'm not even necessarily saying that like, oh, it's PETA so automatically everything's bad. But PETA certainly has a reputation amongst vegans and non-vegans. And I guess, I guess one of my first thoughts or first questions that I, I'm posing is – does does P, I mean PETA is I would imagine certainly self aware of their place within the vegan movement and within just how they are perceived by non vegans. Should that affect the content that they put out? Because this specific this specific meme is something that that I would share within vegan groups, but I probably wouldn't share it outside of vegan groups because I know that people would possibly think that is very silly. And this is even in the context of two, well now it's 2019, but you know, it's like people in general, I mean, maybe it's just the circles that I am choosing to place myself in, but I do feel like people in general are becoming more aware of the language that they use and how it it does play a role in in our views and and how we feel about other people and and how it affects other people like i do think that people are realizing that the words we use matter which is a good thing but even with that i feel like maybe this is is this is this too soon is is, is andy are the people not ready for this meme yet and I think an analogous thing, as terribly phrased, but something that is similar is the fact that, you know, we are always pointing out how, or more so you, Andy, are always pointing out when people refer to animals as it's instead of like him or them or her and, and why that matters. And, but, but, you know, we more so pointed out when we're talking about vegan documentaries that are doing it or other vegans that are saying it rather than non-vegans because i don't think you know if 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 i know that another person a non-vegan sees an animal as an object for consumption or as an object for entertainment like of course of course it makes sense to me why they would refer to that animal as it so is it almost is the situation almost like non-vegans aren't aren't ready for to be challenged on their language regarding animals yet until they first see animals as more than just objects or is it that we need to hit them with this first to kind of shape their shape their journey into seeing animals as more than just objects and is it necessary for them to change their language first or does it not matter at all andy go <laughs> Great points, Paul. Um, yeah, I mean, so I guess we should say that uh, for longtime listeners of the show are are probably well aware that we are not fans of a lot of what PETA does. And they have a ton of baggage that go along with them. So it feels like no matter what they post, people are going to think it's ridiculous and horrible. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of what they do gives you know, I, I don't know, it's such a loaded phrase, but I feel like they give vegans a bad name most of the time with uh, with what, you know, all their outrageous stunts and whatnot. And a lot of things they do are very damaging and counterproductive to animal liberation and sort of their philosophy of, you know, it, and all press is good press, essentially, I think is not 
true with with this and sort of the way the public has latched on to this if it wasn't from PETA, I doubt it would get the reaction that it has. But PETA is sort of this like cartoonishly inept and out of touch and perhaps some would consider like evil, you know, villain of this of this world. And so I think that they sort of just have this connotation that is just so easy to make fun of. And people like do things because they want to put quote unquote piss PETA off, you know. And so coming from a different source. I don't think this would have been significantly more well-received, but I do think that if this was like Compassion Over Killing or some other, you know, relatively larger organization tweeting this out, I don't think anyone would have really cared. And and so it just feels like it's easy to feel like this is a very trivial aspect of animal liberation. And so coming from PETA, they're, they're an easy target. And it's a thing that feels just so like, who cares? It's just our language. Like who cares? These don't really matter, but I don't know. I mean, like I, I am a fan of almost all of these, these alternatives as you know, except for the, be the test tube. <laughs> be the I test saw, tube you were born to be. I I, I, I want to talk about a few of the parodies that people have done, but I saw one where there was like anti-bird language <laughs> and they left be the test tube the same because it's already just so ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I like it, but it's not the thing that I lead with. Just like I don't lead with why we shouldn't, you know, consume honey or something like that. Not because I don't think it's important, but because I know that there's sort of levels to this and there's just sort of entry level veganism, entry level vegan discussion topics. And that there are things that are maybe a little bit more in depth and more nuanced. And so to someone that is not well-versed or very sort of new to all of this, if they see this and they, they're, they already think that veganism is this weird, silly thing. Cause you care about animals. And then all of a sudden people are like, you're trying to police my language. Like, yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree that this is the thing that we should lead with, but I'm guessing PETA is tweeting out tons of stuff all day long and people are kind of acting like this is their main campaign and their main focus and their flagship cause. And it was probably just like a thing that was like, this is cute and clever and let's tweet it out. And what other 20 things that they tweeted this day that no, that day that no one has cared about and no one's ran with, you know? Yeah, I guess like Andy, I'm wondering because I, I agree with you when you said that obviously if like compassion over killing or some someone else tweeted about this, it wouldn't get the same response. And part of me f- believes that that is true because PETA has a wider reach than every other animal organization. So they're reaching there no matter what they're putting out, more mm-hmm. people are seeing it than than other organizations. And that that leads me to think, well, what what should they be putting out then? Because I, while you are 100% correct that so many of the things that they do are problematic and damaging. So, so many things. There are certainly things that they're doing that we would be like, yes, this is a, this is a good thing that they're, that they're doing. This is maybe this is constructive towards the end goal of veganism. So I guess my question is what should the PETA be doing? Because no matter what they're going to be doing, people are going to be non-vegans are going to be making fun of it. And I guess what, because because I I feel like it's 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 not 
productive for us to sit here and say, Peter, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this without also saying this is what you should be doing. And I guess one thing we could say is, Peter, you should just stop. You should just stop everything. (laughs) But that's obviously not going to happen. So it's like what I feel like it would be more constructive to be to be like, what should the content that what content should Peter be promoting? Well, I'll say this, Paul, of all of the problematic things that I've ever seen them put out, this does not fall in that category for me at all. Like it, it, it's a, a bit more on the frivolous side, you could say. And it seems like maybe a little sillier, not that consequential in the, the grand scheme of things. But to me, this is like, I wouldn't, I honestly don't know that I'd be like, you shouldn't post this. It's just sort of the internet had its way with this meme. Uh, if if you were like, oh, if you could give PETA an overhaul, I would say, okay, stop doing uh, sexist campaigns and racist campaigns and culturally insensitive campaigns and campaigns where you sort of dangle vital human resources over someone's head as motivation for them to go vegan. And, you know, all of like, I feel like there's a million things that we could say, stop doing and do these instead. And sort of the, you know, this, this conversation to me is such a frivolous one that we're talking about because so many people asked us to talk about it and it's you know some of the things are cute like take the flower by the horns or whatever but i would say that when we have our more serious discussions about you know various campaigns that we're doing there's an implicit you know even though we're saying that like we think that what you're doing here is bad the implicit is do the opposite of this or don't do this at all you know there's there's plenty of examples of very reasonable well-run culturally sensitive, not racist, not sexist, not transphobic campaigns out there that people can look to for examples that could still have PETA's, you know, uh, over the top spin on it. I'm sure they could figure out ways to do those things that don't sort of denigrate the vegan movement. And so so I, I see your point, Paul, but I also feel like generally speaking, when we have these conversations, there are alternatives that are offered and oftentimes it's like yeah you just don't have to have a sexist campaign like that's what it is and and clearly there's so many examples of not sexist campaigns for veganism out there that to me it doesn't even feel like you know it's not like when someone like goes to like a small fishing village and they're like you can't have fish anymore and then they leave and they're like well we have no concept of how we could feed ourselves otherwise. This is like, look, there's a world of activism out there of people that are doing things that don't conflict with, you know, the oppression of other people. That's a good point. Andy. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I didn't mean to, I guess, no, I agree with all that. I didn't mean to come down on this thing. Parti- like, I, I guess I didn't mean to come down on this meme in particular and say, cause yeah, I, I don't think that this is a bad thing. I guess I'm more so just wondering like, wh- I don't know what, I don't know what I'm wondering. Any, is there anything that they could do at this point that wouldn't get so much public negative feedback? I mean, I'm trying to imagine a world in which there was like a total overhaul at PETA and they started doing really sensible campaigns that, that sort of won over the general public with with sort of being intelligent and nuanced and culturally sensitive and like all of those things. Like, I feel like if they gave it a really concerted effort that that could be possible. But generally speaking, I just sort of feel like they're so far gone and they're so damaged that it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I feel like it's, it makes me sad when people that are not aware of veganism 
if they only know one organization or one representation of veganism or inoblation that it is PETA, that makes me sad. I feel like because you, you had made reference to this, Andy, it was I believe it, it must have been in, in Flint, Michigan, that they promised what, like a year's worth of clean water if the person like signed a contract to go vegan or something like that. Or it was something, something along like, those lines. Yeah, I feel like in if because because clearly. PETA, the organization, is not themselves monetarily getting any benefit from that from that deal. So clearly, they have the money to give those resources without getting any gain to their to their organization. If instead they had, if instead just PETA gave that water, and it wasn't like they weren't saying, "Here's a bunch of water. We hope that you go vegan." It was just like, "Hey, we're going to do something good." That's not necessarily directly correlated to our our main goal are the focus of our organization, but this is another group of people that are in need. So we're just going to do this nice thing that probably still would have gotten a lot of press. And then, yeah. Oh, and he's about to say something. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, like you could spin it like this is how much water is wasted by animal agriculture every day. And it's enough clean water for this family for a year. Or, you know, I don't know what the exact math is. Like they could have made that their thing, you know. And of course, the, you know, that obviously falls under the danger of co-opting another movement for the purpose of veganism. But I feel like if they're going to do their PETA thing, why not do it in a positive way? Like if they can donate vegan jerky to the the Bundys that were like holed up <laughs> on the... You you know, public land. If people remember that whole fiasco a while ago, yeah. these like right wing uh, people that are sort of like taking public land hostage or whatever. If they can just give them vegan jerky as a publicity stunt, why couldn't they just give water to this family for a year? Well, you that, know, that's what, no, that's what I was saying, Andy. I, I was saying don't even try to tie in some vegan message into it. I was just saying just give all this water to people because that would make an I, I believe that would make a news story people would still be hearing about PETA and people would then be you know maybe going to the PETA website or something like that like I feel like it would still even though it has nothing to do with animals it would still get attention to PETA and and I I believe like solely positive attention because if if because I do think that if they gave the, the bunch of water and then they said oh and you should cons- like this is all this water that's been wasted I still think a lot of people would be like oh there's Peter like always trying to shoehorn in their their like their ideology and stuff like that which in that case I think would be warranted would be true that that's what they would be doing but I think if you if it was just like Peter donates hundreds of thousands of gallons of water to to people that need it like there's no way that without seeming like a, a complete jerk you can't be like oh PETA sucks it's like what you're you're complaining that they literally just did this thing but i do think that that would get people to go to their website or it would get it would get the name PETA out there like it would get it in people talking about it which would then get people to have to think about those kinds of issues anyways. Is that kind of making sense? Like it's a way to do something non-vegan related that's good that would get people to talk about PETA in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I guess my, my, I was just offering up that alternative of putting a positive spin on it because it feels like it would be impossible for me to imagine them doing something purely for <laughs> altruistic reasons and to not have some amount of vegan spin on the whole thing but i agree that like 
that could be the strategy of, you know what? We've been these real like jerks for so long. Like, let's just do some nice things for people to, to win over public goodwill again. Like, I, I could see that happening. Or, or even even on their website or something, having a category that's like water usage and why veganism is the right choice. But not, not like th- throwing that out there and putting that in everyone's faces. You know, like still making the information available to people, but not forcing it upon people, you know? I think that that is something that could get them uh, more positive, I don't know press. Andy, why are we talking about this? <laughs> this is what we do, Paul. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like what is your uh, like I I don't have one so this is why I'm asking this is exactly why I'm asking you. Have you gotten a general feeling about how vegans feel about this meme? Um I mean I think that I've seen two camps and one is the camp that's like no this stuff matters and then the camp that says this makes vegans look silly. Mm. And uh, I feel like both of those things could be true. You know, like you said, you would share this in like vegan circles. Like I've talked before on the show about how I have my Facebook friends separate into categories of vegan and non-vegan. And the vast majority of what I post goes to everybody. But if I want to sort of gripe about something happening in the vegan community or offer resources that are specifically for vegans, then I just show it to the vegan tab. Like this might be a thing that I would just post to the vegan tab if it wasn't from PETA, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I don't I don't even know if I want to call it silly because I think that it is important. But yeah, I think there's definitely a, a there's a place for it. And knowing where your place is is something that PETA has historically not been not been great at. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't want to criticize them for this, though, because there's nothing like you mentioned. There's nothing inherently bad with this meme or problematic with this. And in fact, I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like it makes me feel conflicted because you're like, oh, Peter's doing a thing that I don't hate and I feel like is kind of wholesome and good. It makes me confront my own bias, Andy, because I find myself wanting to look for the reason why I don't like this. Well, I can tell you that sort of the the follow up controversy of this whole aspect is that when people sort of question them on it they put a statement out that was saying you know that basically comparing anti-animal language to racist language and sexist language and things like that that got them under fire and that's like almost yeah i know right so you know that's like something we can talk about but that to me that's almost just like that's just classic PETA, you know (laughs) oh it's like not something new (laughs) here here they are here they are (laughs) so so i mean be aware that that happens but i feel like we don't even need to get into that because I feel like we've talked about that so many times before, but <laughs> yeah. Can we, yeah. can we end this on a fun note though, Paul? End it, end it, Andy. Can we, can I just tell you some of my favorite parodies that I've seen? Yes, please. Enlighten so me. I like, um, stop using anti-Christmas language. <laughs> Instead of happy holidays, say, may your Christmas be filled with Christmas. <laughs> Instead of what day is it? Say how many days until Christmas? <laughs> And instead of saying, I'm sorry for your loss, say, I'm sorry for your loss, but cheer up, it's Christmas. <laughs> nice. Uh, my my all-time favorite, though, is stop using anti-bee language. <laughs> bees? Bees? Instead of saying, oh, no, a swarm of bees, say, finally, a blessing of bumbles. <laughs> 
Instead of saying, I'm allergic to bee stings, say, I haven't accepted my love for bees yet, and my body reacts accordingly. <laughs> uh, instead of saying, holy shit, that, that bee has a gun, say, I'm proud of that bee for expressing their rights. Uh <laughs> Instead of saying, I don't believe in bees, say, I'm open to the possibility of bees. Oh, my God. And instead of saying, honey is overrated, say, I wish bees could vote. <laughs> uh, um, so. I actually, one of my friends actually sent me one that was stop using anti, stop using non-dog language. And it oh. was, it did, my favorite one was, instead of who's a good boy, say, how is a good boy? <laughs> <laughs> so at least this whole thing has gifted us some great parody memes parody memes <laughs> well that's that ending. i think that's that i think we could we can leave it off right there all right well if you have any input on this riveting uh discussion on memes on meme and meme culture please send it in to the bearded vegans at gmail.com let us know what you think about it or any of the other and the other probably more important news stories and topics that we discussed in today's episode but yeah send them in i want it to i want our email address to be the beard vegans at meme mail.com <laughs> i'm i'm sure that someone has not taken that email address i would be very surprised if someone has well it's time to find out all right andy while you're finding that out also tell me do you got anything coming up well, I can I can do one or the other, Paul, but I can't do both. So I'll tell you what I have coming <laughs> okay. up. Thank you. March 24th and 25th, I'll be at Vegan Street Fair in Los Angeles, California. March 30th, I'll be at the Andy Veg Fest in Indianapolis, Indiana. You mean the Indy Veg Fest at Indianapolis, Indiana? That's exactly what I mean. I don't know oh, okay. why I pronounced it that way. <laughs> and then I got I got stuff in April and June and July and in uh, Tennessee and North Carolina and Michigan and New Jersey and Connecticut. So you can find all the dates, deeds, and links for all those events at CompassionCo.com, which is my clothing line. And come find that clothing line at the events. I'll be behind the table. If you say, what's up, Beardo, I'll hook you up with a button and or sticker and write your name down for a shout out on the podcast. Very cool. Very cool. Paul, my so I mean, there's just too many of these parody memes to. Do you think someone saying parody meme is redundant? Like, don't you think most memes are parodies on some level? Maybe. Or is it just like a a hot take on something? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, there's too many of these regular memes to uh, to (laughs) decide which of my favorites were, but the one that I wanted to say for the end was uh, stop using anti bearded vegans language. And it says, instead of saying, go visit PETA's website, instead say the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. say this is probably the third most requested topic that we got so we're, we're kind of working our way through them as we're getting back into the the groove here but it should be i think it'll be fun to talk about was ted nugent number one <laughs>
Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking you're trying to make some sort of nougat joke. <laughs> uh, strike that from the record. <laughs> like you just mentioned, the vegan treats, you know, a vegan bakery that's pretty prolific. Prolific. <laughs> I'm all about prolific. That's why I'm going to a comedy show tonight, Paul. <laughs> Some of which you could say follow under the category of follow-up, but <clears throat> I said follow instead of fall. <laughs> I can't talk to that. From VegNews.com, federal court rules. <clears throat> federal court. Were they rule, Paul? <laughs> federal court rules. A Doyle rules. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it... What does it feel like? 